0: it is 8 p.m. Eastern uh it is episode as I drop something 91 what's in a number and what can I possibly mean by that well if you're familiar with the Twitter webs at all you know that I had a a bit of a dust up with a former uh NFL probably Hall of Famer maybe first ballot we'll see um when uh He posted a photo of himself in hockey equipment with 99 on his helmet, and I, as a fellow beer league hockey player, felt it was my gentlemanly duty to remind him that you do not wear number 99 in beer league hockey or any kind of hockey, especially on a Thursday night. So that, of course, led to him uh, a little bit surprisingly firing back, basically daring me to drop the gloves with him, except I never said that I would... Be the guy to drop him. I just said that he's asking for it from other players on the other team and guys on his own team, by the way. And of course, that led to a cameo today on the uh, Pat McAfee show, where they kind of joked about it. Uh, I thought that was fine. I didn't really care anything about that. I don't really watch Pat McAfee. It's a little, uh, it's a little too much uh, gorilla mind theory in your face for me uh, that early in the day. Um, but so I had to go on and explain okay, here's why you don't wear 99 and whatever. It's not because it's like you're worshiping Gretzky uh, because there's a lot of people who don't really think that uh, Wayne Gretzky is the greatest of all time. He is, but you can make an argument for Mario Lemieux and you can make, obviously, Alexander Ovechkin and whatever. But it's more along the lines of it's such a distinct number and there's such a distinct history behind it. It's the only number retired in the NHL that if you're on your C-level B team, uh, beer league team and you take to the ice and there's a dude wearing 99. Um, as the as the boys from Letterkenny uh, noted out, then it's you're going to get chirped at and you might get put into the boards a little bit. And it's mainly because if you're wearing 99, it's you saying, I'm the best player out here and I'm as good as Gretzky. And there are a few other numbers you don't do that with. I'm, I'm letting you in on some hockey culture here before we get started. You don't really do it number 66 either. That's Mary Lemieux's number. Uh, number eight is fine. It's Alexander Ovechkin because that's kind of a benign number. Eighty-eight, however, is also borderline. Basically, any double-digit number uh, in Beer League is you're 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 risking a lot there. Uh, Forty-four was Chris Pronger, so it's one of these unwritten rules. So I thought I would just remind him of it, and now it's blowing up into this huge thing, and uh, it's funny, and I got you know pe- you know chuds in my mentions still to this day, um, but hopefully that's over with before the weekend. I was uh, also backed up by a former NHLer named Jeff O'Neill. Jeff O'Neill played, uh, had a pretty long career, played for the Hartford Whalers, which then became the Carolina Hurricanes. And then, unfortunately, he went to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he was also the first one under uh, JJ's, JJ Watts mentioned saying, you don't wear that number in this sport. You can can have 99 in your sport, and that's fine, but not in this one. And so I I feel like I'm in the right and I've had some backup on this. And uh, I guess the people still matter the, Uh, 100-follower Twitter annons with whatever. So that's been fun, if anyone wants to uh, discuss that further. We also had a similar incident this week with uh, media and celebrities kind of dogpiling on Lachlan Marquez, a former Axios reporter, also Free Beacon reporter, uh, for his very correct opinion on the percussion stylings of one Meg White, formerly the White Stripes. And this felt like one of these things where... It feels like a lot of the insanity of Twitter has died down. There's not really a main character right now. Elon Musk's kind of folded into the background and uh, Donald Trump still isn't on. And no one really knows how to react when there's not a main character. So they go looking for one. And so you had a fairly benign and, as I said, correct opinion about how talented Meg White is. And that got picked up by celebrities, which then got picked up by several media outlets And Lachlan was forced to delete and apologize, which didn't do him any good. Now he's locked his account. Um, I'm friendly with Lachlan. I've spoken with him a few times. Uh, I haven't spoken to him on this uh, because I figure he's just gone into hiding. But this really was kind of a good old return to the BuzzFeedification of media, Uh, the Justine Saccoism, where, you know, they find a benign joke from someone who doesn't really have any power, and all the people with the power decide that we're going to blow this person up so we can keep our celebrity endorsements and our celebrity cred. And that's not really what journalism is about or should be about and what it kind of used to be about prior to social media. And that's similar to kind of the J.J. Watt thing. I I handle things differently than Lachlan does, obviously. Um, But it's kind of like this thing blows up out of proportion and someone either doesn't like the reference or someone doesn't get the reference or someone doesn't get the joke. Although it's not a joke, you don't wear 99 Um, or what have you. And it becomes this whole thing, and then it just depends on do you want to deal with it for two to three days. So uh, that was another incident. And the third one of those, I mean, it was kind of funny because he had one on Monday, Wednesday, and then yesterday, uh, was Bethany Mandel, obviously, put in a quarter by uh, Brianna Joy Gray, who has a show here on Colin, about the definition of woke. And that's when I found out Bethany doesn't subscribe to my podcast. Shame on you. Um, and now everyone's out here trying to define what woke is and then this whole thing. And now you even have actors on the far left who were basically saying it's racist to even say the word, which we knew was coming. Um, And as I've stated, at least my belief in woke is not um, a certain set of ideological beliefs or pressuring society to change under the weight of its white supremacist roots or institutions. It's fine if, say, a bunch of kids want to scream like feral animals at a speaker at Stanford. I mean, it's not fine, but whatever. Um, what wokeness is, is the university siding with those students. That's wokeness. Wokeness is, is who has power to, to exercise these things. Um, when a professor gets fired from a university for misgendering someone as opposed to university telling the big baby to grow up, um, that's wokeness. Um, when a New York times reporter and editor gets fired from the New York times uh, over allowing a United States senator to put an op-ed on their pages and the staff revolts, that's wokeness. Wokeness is not the ideology itself. It's the power structure that behind it, and it's the people in power caving and giving that kind of mob the power. And so that's how I've defined it, and I had a lot of people – Agree with me on that. And obviously, we have David French who can't define wokeness on the bad faith left. And so he should probably explain where he changed his mind and why. So, those were a couple of incidents this week that we all just kind of saw how social media mobs just kind of go after different people and how those different people handle things. Um, we also this week saw um, the media. And as I stated on my podcast briefly, media and I want to say uh, conservative. In mainstream media, still, I don't think understand the landscape of what's happening in front of their eyes, and part of it, I think, is because they don't want to. Uh, part of it thinks that you know they don't they don't know how to change their worldview based on you know the way the ground shifts, and we saw this uh, in particular in the way that uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, excuse me, um, stated what he believes our security interests are in Ukraine. And this caused a big tizzy from everyone that would have had a tizzy no matter what he would have said. And so you still have outlets like NBC going to people like John Bolton and John Bolton being like, I'm very disappointed in him. And I cannot imagine a single person right now, the age of 25 to 45 on the political right, who is a GOP voter, caring one iota what NBC News or John Bolton have to say about any of that. And that's what's interesting to me, that NBC still somehow thinks his his opinion is important, even though NBC called him a warmonger 20 years ago. And we saw that, of course, from David Frum. We saw that from Bill Kristol and several others, and we've even seen it from Chris Christie. And uh, this also came out today with the AP News, where you have Governor Chris Sununu, who uh, criticized Ron DeSantis for never sitting down with a reporter to have a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking... How in the world do you think any of this hurts this guy? If that's what you're trying to do, um, I don't know why you think that that somehow is something where you're cozying up to the press and you're sitting at 1% in a primary and he's out here calling them out very succinctly and uh, correctly for some issues and policy, the way they distort policy proposals and he's sitting around 49, 50, 51, you should probably take a look in the mirror and learn that you're not going to win the GOP nomination by cozying up to meet the press and AP in the New York Times. That is something that Larry Hogan learned. And so this is an interesting phenomenon to me that shows just how much of the mainstream conservative right has been frozen out of media because they don't have a single person there to tell them of these things. And so that was another other interesting... Thing that happened. I mean, I woke up today, uh, I did I did my morning scratch, and I took the pups out, and I did the coffee, and then whatever, and I turned on Twitter, and I swear to God, I think the first six things that I read on Twitter were all Ron DeSantis articles from different outlets. So there's a strategy going on here. The other thing that we saw breaking, and I, I haven't gotten into this too much because I just saw it as I was kind of coming on, that apparently... Um, That apparently, sorry, I'm getting now J.J. Watt shit tweeted at me again. Uh, Here we go. I guess he just put out a a video, so I'm going to play this live. I don't know, but I I had five people tweet this to me. Um, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh, we have a possibility of a Trump indictment coming, and uh, that's from Fox, and, and that's in the Southern District of New York, who's Alvin Bragg, and I guess apparently they're... They're currently trying to work with the secret service to figure out how an indictment arrest, all of that stuff would work. So who knows? We'll see if that comes about. I've always said that, uh, of all the roads you guys do not want to go down, this would be that road and it looks like they want to go down it like they always do. And then later they pay for it. Um, so I guess Joe Biden is probably going to live out his final days with his only living son in federal prison. And that's where this goes. And maybe him. Um, I have people, uh, Sending me this JJ Watt video. I don't know what this is, but I'm going to play it. I heard it, but uh, I don't know what's going on. It says, Out here getting humbled by seven year olds is his tweet. So here's the video. It's a minute long.
1: All right. Just finished hiking Camelback for the second time ever.
0: Uh, another humbling
1: experience. Uh, I felt like I gave it a very good effort. Um, was passed by. Two kids, one was apparently a elite 11 high school quarterback, so don't feel bad about that at all. Um, But at one point near the top, I was hands on knees, taking a break, uh, taking some deep breaths, and coming past me on the way down, meaning they'd already been to the top, were a group of probably four or five seven-year-olds. So they weren't breathing very hard. the big dog was and uh all in all test number two was a tough one but we conquered it in 44 minutes three seconds and we'll try again another day (sighs) probably should lose some weight it's it's 285 is a lot to take up a mountain uh for a mile and a half so
0: Oh, there's JJ. JJ's JJ struggling with hiking. Um, or I guess he said uh, Bo is in the comments saying Camelback back in Phoenix. Um I don't know. What's funny about this is when I got everything in my mentioned saying JJ could take me and all of his fans or whatever like that, I was like, Well, yeah, he's six he's six eight and he's two eighty-five apparently. And then I, I heard what he said on uh Pat McAfee where he hadn't played hockey since he was 12, and he hasn't been skating since he was six years. And that's when I'm like, well, let's see. I core train two to three times a week, and I skate twice a week. I think I could probably take him. And now I'm pretty much convinced that uh, I I probably could. Thank you, JJ. I'm pulling for you, buddy. Anybody can get out there and get in shape. I have. It's been hard. It's been long. It's been expensive. Um, But I'm pulling for him. And here's to – Hoping he gets back on the skates soon. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go ahead and start uh, lining people up here. So we already—I knew we were gonna have a deep, uh, a deep bench for this one. Uh, so those are those are a few topics. If there's anyone uh, others out there, like I said, I've kind of gone to an open topic format, whatever. Um, but I'm guessing I know what tonight's gonna be about. So as usual, uh, if you're in the queue and if you're and if you're speaking, just make sure to mute your microphone if you're not talking. Just if I'm talking, whatever, just make sure. There's not a lot of background noise. Uh, I'm not great at it myself, um, but it just it makes it easier for me to focus, it makes it easier for the audience, and it makes for a better published recording. For those of you first timers in this room, yeah, these are published podcasts. You can go back and listen to them. Uh, the other one is uh, just mind uh, we, we try to keep it short, try to keep it about an hour, hour and a half ish. We all got our weekend nights to be somewhere and hopefully with someone. And so uh, just try to keep your thoughts short. And I know it doesn't always go that way. And uh, I'm, again, the biggest, the worst offender of that. Uh, but just try to keep in mind there's people behind you in the queue as well. So um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take, I'm actually gonna bump Andy up here because that looks like a new one. Andy looks like a new guy here. Um, bumping Andy up, Robert, if you can just hold on a bit. There he is. Andy, welcome versus media live on call. And I'm Stephen Al Miller. Uh, Just unmute your microphone. I'll give Andy a little bit of a minute here. Andy, uh, it's your first time. Uh, just unmute your mic down there in the bottom, and uh, just Andy, uh, if you jump on in here, uh, just jump back in the queue, and I'll get up to you. I'm bringing up Pierce. Go ahead, Pierce. Let's see if let's see if Pierce is paying attention.
2: Hey, Steven. There he uh, is. Nice. Okay. So, gosh, shoot. I got to mute all my messages here. All right. Um, so just real quick, I'm looking at a tweet from my governor, Katie Hobbs. It's an executive order prohibiting race-based hair discrimination for state employees and contractors. Uh, black women, men, and children should be able to wear their natural hair with pride and without the fear of discrimination. That's fine at all. You is, know? is there I, I a law in that's...
0: Arizona that says they cannot do that?
2: <sighs> Not that I know of. Then again, I am a white man, so I don't know. Uh, but what I wanted to point out, was someone who was there at the event uh, tweeted it and noted, one surprise appearance at Katie Hobbs Crown Act signing was Kechi Amare Diallo. Formerly known as Rachel Dolezal, who gained popularity for her controversial transracial identity.
0: So Rachel Dolezal is at an event that is meant for the celebration of people of color's hair.
2: Yeah, and she is using the new name in Ketchy Amre Diallo. So yeah.
0: <laughs> it's great.
2: I should just move to San Francisco and demand my five million
0: yeah i'm i'm looking i'm looking for this uh, it's at
2: okay well, i don't know, if I know well no, know.
0: i was looking for the story but if if you tweet it at me i'll i'll blast it out but okay yeah i mean this comes this kind of comes back to if you can identify to be anything that you want what stops you from identifying as a different race and who are you or who am i or who is anyone to step in and say, you can't do that, bigot. Um, and we saw this, of course, with Michelle Yeoh at the Oscars. And this is, this happened kind of throughout award season, where it said, you know, Michelle Yeoh is the first woman who identifies as Asian to accept this award. And I know that there's the story of uh, an Indian actress back in the 40s, 50s at her Heritage, <clears throat> but that's not the usage that NPR is, is meaning when they do it. And so it's just, it's the next step to kind of, you know, making us all androgynous, weird drones plugged into the neural link or whatever. But um, again, people are going to start doing that. And this is the corner that you backed yourselves into when you erase gender, when you erase biological sex, when you erase identity, um, you have the ability to then go, "I'm going to, I'm going to identify as this race. We saw this happen with Sean King um, who everyone realized became, you know, everyone realized, wow, this guy, here's his birth certificate, whatever. And even then the media just ran with it. They just said, Oh, well, who cares? And so I think that that's interesting. And so if you have that link, either tweet it out or put it in comments or just tweet it at me, cause I'd be interested to see that yeah. uh, or who picked it up. Um, And she, now, so now she's even changed her name. What, what say that name again?
2: Yeah, it's, it sounds pretty uh, ethnic. It's, Nketchi—that's the letter N—is a Nancy K E C H I, middle name Amare, and then last name Diallo D I A L L O, formerly known as Rachel
0: Dolezal. <laughs> so he, there is a Twitter account with that. There, um, it says Rachel Dolezal, and she has the accent over the Z, by the way. And it says Diallo Nketchi is her. <clears throat> Uh, it says, "Yeah, it says new account for Rachel Dozal. Who knows if this is valid? Twitter refuses to access my verified account. Rachel this, So she's changed her name and
2: <laughs> and race. Apparently,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, she, well, apparently she didn't change her she didn't change her race. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'll be interested to see if if any media is any media outlets picked up on that with her there.
2: I haven't seen anything. Uh, Twelve News, my local Twelve News uh, media retweeted that tweet." <laughs> uh, yeah, is it going to get to a point though where it's like, oh, remember with the uh, the person who like shot up people and then uh claimed they were like transgender or yeah. they were gender neutral and then suddenly you have uh pundits saying, "Oh, well, no, they're not. Obviously, they're men because uh I have some some uh, some kind of mystical authority to to peer into his soul or her soul."
0: So, so. <clears throat> so here I have it right here. Yeah, no, that, and so that's the whole idea. And this is again, this, this is why this all comes down to political sides. It's not, it's not actual about identity. It's all about, you know, a political side, which is if a mass shooter who identifies as trans k- kills a bunch of people, no, they'll no, it's not ours. And then the other funny thing about that is, we, but we still must respect the mass murder rapist pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> and again, this—it's this just if there's no rules to once you go down the path of erasing the meaning of language and the, and the meaning of words and the meaning of identity. This, these are the these are the weird, you know, finger traps that you put yourselves into. And so, uh, right. I did find it. This is from um, Kyra Tent, communication specialist, video producer, 12 News. One surprise appearance of Katie Hobbs, Crown Act signing the Ketchum Rudolph form, and known was Rachel Dizel, who gained popularity. For her controversial trans-racial identity, she got popular because of it. Apparently, yeah. according to these people. <laughs> um, so I, I, that's interesting. So she she's a white woman with curly hair, and she and she's uh, at this event. Um, yeah, I mean, again, th- this is the road they're taking us down. I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic that I don't think this lasts. Forever, I think that eventually this goes away, similar to Latinx goes away because they started losing Hispanic voters. So once you start doing this, once you start, you know, letting once you start saying this is a safe space for, you know, African-Americans and then you start letting in anyone who identifies just like we're doing with gender. That's when I think you're going to start to see some people really like push back on this and like you joke about reparations, but San Francisco looks like they're going to try it um good, good luck um and so i mean this is one of these things where I, I do think that there's a breaking point i do think that eventually you know a new wave feminist left pushes back against you know the erasure of women's sports i do think that eventually if it is we're just going to identify as race there's also like a tiktok influencer who, who underwent like thousands of dollars of surgery to look asian so they could identify as
2: i saw that yeah
0: it, 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 it's it the craziest thing about me is just how how these people insulting because again hey you're an ally you're on our side of the aisle or whatever like that um, but I do th- I am someone where I think that this fever breaks it may not break today or tomorrow or in a year but I do think that in you know in some time eventually people are just gonna say enough of this crap like we're done
2: yeah well. Uh, can't come uh, quickly enough. Anyway, thanks. Just wanted to point that out. It just happened, and I thought it was
0: hilarious. Have a good one. <laughs> thanks, Pierce. Pierce in with the local news. Uh, I see someone named Kim back there. Kim, I'm going to bump you up. I like to do that with new faces or faces I either don't remember because I got CTE from J.J. Watt kicking the shit out of me. Um, but, Kim, if you're back there, just go ahead and Kim, if you're listening, you're up in the queue. uh, Just go ahead and unmute your microphone. I know it's, like, weird when there's these long kind of pauses or whatever, but those all get erased in the uh, recording because Colin has this fun feature where you can do a smart speed, so any, like, long acts of silence get erased. But I'll give her a minute. I guess we're going to have that kind of night. All right. I'm going to move on with the queue here. Kim, oh, there she is. Now, Kim, jump up back into the queue. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, see, I'm, I keep people on their toes by bumping them and moving them. But Kim, feel free to jump back in there, and I'll uh, I'll get you up. Go.
3: Hey there, uh, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Um, I just figured I'd share a fun story of how equity uh, caused me to lose my final uh, co-ed uh, uh, softball game when I was at UGA. Um, uh, so the rules are, it's, uh, 10 players, uh, five girls, five guys. Um, you have, uh, four outfielders, two and two, uh, two and two in the infield, and then, you know, pitcher and catcher, guy and girl. Uh, I was the pitcher and, uh, not necessarily, not the team captain, but kind of the uh, on-field, uh, you know, shot caller uh, as far as, uh, you know, ma- making plays or where to throw the, you know, where to make the play at. And we uh, we were in the playoffs uh, um, going up against a team that I had even scouted uh the previous week because we were off that day and uh but the day before the game uh our one of our best girl play player uh gotten a little bit of a tizzy with the team captain uh because she didn't think it was fair that the guys always took left center field and right center field uh to cover up uh most of the space and make most of the outfield play
0: real fast is this is it normal and, and anyone that can jump in on comments is it normal for softball leagues to have four outfielders? I don't play softball so I don't know.
3: Um yeah but uh but yeah this is just how we did things for with uh with the co ed um and then when it comes to batting uh, boy, girl, boy, girl, and this is slow pitch. I mean, we're we're definitely you know bottom league uh, team, but we had a really great team that year. Uh, my campus department, uh, you know, with a mix of college students and uh, a couple of uh, the older full time employees like myself at the time, and I was the pitcher. Um, and I was doing, you know, doing a pretty good job uh, and whatnot. But uh, uh, anyway, a deep ball uh, to uh, left center field uh, in the next to last inning caused them to go up, uh, you know, by, by one run. And, uh, of course, I'm, I'm a bit steamed because had, you know, the guy been there, uh, he would have made that play because um, he was really, really fast. Um, but uh, but uh, the captain decided that uh, he would uh, acquiesce to uh, the uh, the the girl players' uh, uh, request uh, for uh, more equity in uh, in the outfield. Um,
0: That would be a great movie title, Equity in the Outfield.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we get to the uh, top of the last inning. And I'm leading off uh, when I lead off with a line drive single to right field. And, uh, but the next batter up, uh, the girl play, Uh, well, a girl player, uh, happened to be uh, our worst. Player overall, uh, bless her heart. Um, but uh, she, uh, uh, her her batting power, uh, even for slow pitch softball, would be uh, the equivalent of a swinging bunt. Uh, she just hit little dribblers uh, that you know barely you know had any power to them at all. So I'm on first base. I'm expecting her. To you know, hit one of these little dribblers, uh, and so I, uh, I, um, you know, take off for second base the moment she swings because you know, in the slow pitch, you can't, you know, st- uh, leave the base until contact is made. Um, so I am in a sprinter stance, ready to take second base, expecting. Uh, a a fielder's choice um, play well uh, for the first time all season, she hits, uh, the ball perfectly uh, line drive back to the pitcher, and uh, you know, my big butt couldn't turn around fast enough to get back to first base, uh, so I get doubled off, um So I'm picked off, and I'm
0: pissed off uh, now Would would one of the girls have been able to get back before you?
3: What's that now? Would
0: one of the girls on your team have been able to get back to the base before you got picked off, if they were in your position?
3: Well, the the girl probably would not have gambled on, uh, you know, basically the slow pitch equivalent of a hit and run um so uh so you know it's a play that uh was a, it was a gamble on my end uh, um and uh one that I I lost uh, you know fair enough uh but uh you know so of course I am just super steamed at myself uh for getting picked off um but, so the next guy, uh, up to bat, um, gets a walk, gets walked, and in the slow pitch rule, uh, in, in the, in the, uh, uh slow pitch rule, uh, that we, we went by, if a guy is walked, uh, you know, uh, to avoid intentionally walking all the guys to make the girls make all the plays, uh, at the plate, uh... Uh, he gets two bases instead of one, and then the next batter, the next uh, the girl up next, gets the choice to either bat or uh, to take first base herself. Uh, so that way, uh, the um, yeah, you don't get all the guys walked, and and anyway, the uh, the. Uh, the the you know the top girl who uh requested the position change is now uh, about to go up to bat and she and the team captain are having a discussion she can't drop the topic and she asked the captain what would you like me to do and the captain you know he's just just like you do whatever you want to do and i'm uh and i'm telling her to take first base uh you, you know to, because she would have represented uh the go-ahead run uh you know if if the rally you know continued continued uh and uh she you know, uh was just being very petty about it and i'm just saying take first base uh she kept asking the captain what should i do Oh, uh, you do whatever, whatever you you want to do, and I'm saying take first base. Uh, and this went on for for a, you know about thirty seconds, and I had enough, and I screamed in her face, first base. Uh, and sure enough, uh, she then decided, okay, I'll take first base. Um, well, unfortunately, a uh, fly out to, uh, to to center field ends the rally, ends the game. Uh, and um, let's just say I was not very uh, sportsmanlike. I did not participate in the uh, you know quick handshake uh, line with the other team. My butt went straight to my uh, truck in the. Parking lot, and I peeled out, and uh, and uh, went. Are you off.
0: going back to the team? Did you, or are you joining a new team?
3: Well, uh, unfortunately, you know this this is a team that our campus department, uh, you know, uh, had had for years, um, and uh, sadly, uh, the team pretty much uh, dis- disbanded or stopped. You know, we stopped playing. Uh, the following year, um, and then you know, a couple years later, um, you know, the multiple sclerosis hit me. Um, so uh, I don't know if if uh, the team uh, the uh, for uh, the uh, university's campus transit system, uh, known as the Diesel Dogs, ever got back together. Um, but uh, that was my last. Uh, athletic event, uh, you know, a competitive event. Uh, So uh, I'm still sore about it, you know, 15 years later. Uh, I did apologize uh, to her for screaming at her face uh, about five years later, ironically, at the team captain's wedding. Um, So she was invited she was invited to the wedding. I was the best man, uh, for that wedding. Uh, and I, I decided, uh, at that time it was, it was time to, for me to uh, at least apologize for, uh, uh, being
0: the, the um, patriarchy. You were the yeah, patriarchy, yeah. Robert.
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I, uh, You know, was was certainly uh, very, very hot about that moment. I and uh, you know, again, not a great way to end my athletic career. Um, You know, I was was a you know big slow guy, Um, but um, you know, uh, you know the thing I love about you know baseball and softball is if you hit the ball far enough, you don't have to run. Um, so, yeah, uh, I was that kind of guy, you know, swinging for the fences. I was like a John Kruk kind of guy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that's my fun little story of, of equity in the outfield. And, uh, <laughs> so I figured that'd be, uh, good, good for a laugh all around. Um, you know, since, uh, you had the issue with, uh, The goalie on Valentine's
0: Day. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely reminded me. Um, We've taken him back, and my my team is is holding him accountable. So uh, that was my fun thing. Is I I didn't really even have to say much because guys on my team said it for me, and uh, that's the best kind of uh, captain I can be. Uh, Robert, thanks for the story. It was a Uh, good one. Yes,
3: sir. Cheers, Stephen.
0: All right, take care. Be well. Equity in the outfield, everyone. All right, I guess Kim didn't mean to join the queue, so that was uh, interesting. Jacqueline, you're up. Welcome to
4: doing good. Um, I enjoyed your tiff with JJ uh, Watt. It was kind of funny. yeah. We'll see if
0: it's still going. I, I, I left him. Yeah, I I left, yeah, we'll see if it will You know, I tried to patch things up, and I left him some words of encouragement. I told him to just keep skating, and he'll reach his he'll reach his physical goal.
4: Well, um, yeah, like I like I saw the tweet that you originally said, and I completely understood it about Wayne Gretzky, and like you just don't wear 99 because you have to honor him. He's the great one. That's why he has that title. So you don't wear 99. I know this is number in football, and I get what he said that he was just given that equipment and he was skating. And I've been to beer league games, like, I watched my friends um, play beer league here in, like, Brandon, Florida, and, you know, one of my friend's teams won the Stanley keg, and they got, they got a free keg of beer for winning the tournament. So, like, I, I get all that stuff, it's just for fun, but it is really competitive. But at the same time, I blame the more people, more on the people that put 99 on his helmet than him because he was just giving
0: it back. See, but that's, that's one of the debates right now happening. And I talked a little bit about a podcast is I'm wondering, so he said he skated with a bunch of recently retired NHL guys. <clears throat> so, and I, and I know that there are former NHL guys that do that, Um and some of them even tweet about it, and it's hilarious because they they all tweet about, like, you know, how better they thought they would be uh, in some of these leagues, just even older. And then they turn out that, you know, hey, you know, there are guys that can score on you or whatever. And so th- there is this kind of, uh, there is this rumor or theory that they put 99 on his helmet for exactly this reason, to kind of give him shit and to, like, make him break that. So he goes out there and he skates and he's wearing 99 and then... They're kind of chirping at him a bit. I don't know if I believe that because if that was the case, he would have, to me, responded with, yeah, I already got that from, you know, the boys or whatever. And he obviously didn't do that. He took it like, you know, he took it dead serious. Like I was challenging him to a fight. Um, And yeah, I mean, part of it's honoring, but it's also, it's someone mentioned, it's like, if you go play a, a league pickup game, In basketball wearing 23, eh, uh, maybe 23, but that's Jordan's number. But Jordan wore several numbers like that's 99 is permanently attached to Gretzky for all of hockey. And part of it's honoring him. But the other part of it is, oh, you think you're that guy like you. You think you're the Gretzky of this. And uh, I've never seen a guy wear 99. And I even said that if I had a guy on my team, if I signed a guy onto my team, I don't care how good he is. And he said, I'm going to wear 99. I'm going to be like, no, you're not. Not because it's honoring Gretzky. It's because I don't want that guy to get a mouthful of teeth. And you run that risk. And that's mostly what it's about. And that's kind of what the joke is about, you know, you're just JJ Watts, just asking to get dropped. And the whole joke obviously is JJ Watt is the size of a school bus. So him getting dropped by anyone is probably slim to none. It wouldn't be impossible. You can line him up for a good hip check or just go low on him. And uh, and then the second you know that if you drop him, he gets injured and he's done. Um, apparently he can't walk up a flight of stairs right now. So, yeah, I mean, part of it's honoring, but mostly it's like you're not that guy. You're not that buddy guy. and uh, But just about every other number is fudgable. I do have an 88 on my team, and he's pretty good. Um but even that one's like, eh, but you don't wear 66. There is a guy in my league that wears 68. He's the captain of, a, of another team. And that's one that's even borderline, you know, because the number 68 is so synonymous with Yammer Yager that even that one is kind of like, eh, what are you doing, man? Um, and and Yammer Yager chose 68 for a reason. You should go Google it. It's great. Um, and so, yeah, part of it is, honoring, but mostly it's, uh, if you, if you throw 99 on your back, you better be prepared to live up to it.
4: No, I, I completely agree. And, um, just to, I'm not going to take as long as Robert, but, um, when I played kickball, that was one of the things like, because I played soccer, like, through high school and college and stuff, I would do the exact same thing, just kick the ball really far so I didn't have to run fast because I'm not fast. I'm 6'2 and like 230 pounds, so I just had to kick the ball really far. You, so I could, you make...
0: could honestly probably lay out JJ J. Watt if you got him like open ice head down. Uh, you, you probably could. If you just like lean right if you just if you just leaned right into him right you could you could put JJ all
4: right make sure it gets videotaped when you uh lay him out I'd love to see it all right I'll let you go to the next one have a happy weekend and I think you said we'll see you tomorrow
0: yeah I will have a podcast tomorrow uh to make up for my rest day on Thursday the difference between me and JJ watt is uh, my rest day came after three workouts and, and the game. So I do have that on him. <laughs> he, he's throwing down gloves and now he can't go on a hike. Okay. Um,
5: hey, Stephen.
0: Alex, what did you think of the Oscars? Uh, it's way better than the last show. Do you do you yeah. think that maybe they got the message that this is kind of a return to just make it about movies, try to be fun, get yes. out of yes? Yes, I actually
5: I, I, I agree because um, if you 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 watch the Oscars, right, or you've seen part of
0: I the I gleaned them a little bit from Twitter that night. I didn't. I haven't watched it now, going on about three years. So last year I tuned in after the slap happened. After everyone, I saw text me like, "Oh God, someone just hit someone." Um, and then this year I didn't really tune in. I'm just like, eh, I'll I'll just get the winners off Twitter, whatever. I'm not going to sit through this. Um, but maybe next year, you know, it sounds like that they think that, you know, and it's not really, I said, you know, it's not really politics. It's the self importance of it that I, that turns me off. It's the, you know, we're the bravest people in the world for doing what we do. And then it's, oh, but we can't stand up to China to get our movies in their market kind of thing. It's that kind of stuff. I'm just like. It's funny because I go back and I do from time to time watch like clips from the '80s and the '90s Oscar shows because that's you know when I grew up, and there is really a different attitude. There's it's lighthearted, it's kind of fun. they you still get you know the important speeches, but it's that it's that over sense of self importance on your role in the world, <laughs> which is it's it's big. Like don't get me wrong, um, but I, I'm just like eh. But it sounded like and it looked like. Uh, At least to me, most things that should have won won. I think that Tom Cruise not being there left a big hole in that show, probably. Here was the one thing, and then I'll let you get to what you want to talk about. I had problems with Avatar winning visual effects over Maverick. Why or why not? Am I right or wrong on that? Well,
5: um, they should change the category name to most
0: visual effects. Because that's what it is. I, I mean I classify avatar as an animated film even I know yes I know I you're motion captioning a performance, but you're not seeing the actual performance on the screen. you're seeing computer-generated imagery and these aren't real people like the avatars are 12 feet tall with extended blue arms and stuff so they're animated characters. And so that was the kind of tip that I got in on Oscar night. And there was a lot of passion behind that one. And I said that avatar to me is an animated film. And visually when you're putting actors into airplane cockpits and flying them at Mach three and they have to perform. And then you also don't know what is CGI, what isn't I'm like visually Maverick is the movie where you go, you have to go out and see this film. Now I know that was the case also with avatar, but to me, there's they're two completely unique experiences. But when you're talking of a visual film, a visual effect movie, I don't think you can like substitute animated ferngully cats with Tom Cruise hanging off the side of an airplane. That's kind of, or you need to come up with a stunt category, like best stunt choreography.
5: Uh, I agree. I think they should add a category for the best stunts. Um, I think it's way overdue at that that point. It would also
0: incentivize uh, real set action. Like, yeah, John Wick, for example, would be a good one.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the main reasons why Donnie Yen, for being a massive piece of shit when it comes to um, being a CCP lackey, I think he was there partly because he wants to... Appeal to the Academy just give just make up a best dance category for crying out loud because he's also going to be appearing in uh, John Rick Four, and You know, I will say this about uh, The show this year it didn't need to try new things That's what I realized like a lot of these people the problem with the Academy Awards nowadays isn't because of the films being nominated. Like, there has always been movies that were nominated that no one has ever seen. Like, has anyone actually seen Coda? Uh, Has anyone actually seen, um, uh, Amadeus, which was then the lowest grossing film uh, of all time, to win Best Picture. So it has always been that way. But the main point of the Oscars is to formally recognize the medium of movies. And what I think it did well was it had presenters actually kept giving a shit about the categories they're presenting. Like Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, they were both in uh, Creed Three. Michael B. Jordan is the director. He gave us a bit of a tip tidbit on Citizen Kane and how, you know, the camera works and what makes cinematography. And I think, okay, that sounds that sounds really, really good. That sounds refreshing. That sounds like they actually care because when you think about last year's show, there were no interest in the technical categories. Um, just put aside this real sm- slap one moment and you notice that everyone, Amy Schumer was like the worst host at the Oscars has ever seen the jokes didn't land, and also after the slap, she basically played a victim, and even the, the winners of Best Documentary Feature, which was what Chris Watt was uh, presenting, um, basically said, oh, uh, why did it have to be this way? And I'm just like, aren't you supposed to be happy that you're you're here, not simply like crying, like the moment, like, it's kind of like, you know, it's all baffling on the front, and I'm so glad that this show is a massive improvement. Um, I will say this. You mentioned a bit about politics, and while there's not a lot to say uh, about the speeches itself, which is all, oh, I just made it. Look, ma, I this is the American dream. Ladies, don't let Don Lemon ever tell you that you, you are past your prime. And all that. But I want to focus on one specific thing thing with uh, a speech delivered by the Daniels, which was uh, who were the director of Everywhere, Everything, All at Once. And the white Daniels, winning the best director, basically mentioned that he was once a, a drag kid. And it caught me by surprise because everyone was cheering forward. Everyone was cheering was cheering when he said drag kids don't get don't harm anybody. And it was it was one of those moments where if it was from any of the other shows, people would rightly call it out for what it is. Just to basically weaponize the uh the culture wars for something that is supposed to be innocuous, it's supposed to be innocent and I will say, and I will say that you know people somehow let it slide, and um, and this makes it even worse when you know I just I just think opened up a G file column from Jonah Goldberg, who basically said something that really really struck me and reminded me of why you know what the what the drag kid and all this uh this kind of thing is. He basically said this. I do not believe that wokeness is the novel and sinister threat that many on the white said it is. New threats require new responses to thing of the white these days because it gives the champions of the new responses an excuse to ban the traditional arguments and are perfectly suited to combating wokeness. Well, I'm not quite sure what it says about the white Daniel. I know he has a name, but I'm calling him the white Daniel because he basically said that drag don't harm anybody. And it's the kind of thing that a lot of people talk about when it comes to, like, the definition of wokeness. And it's just the kind of thing that just seeps into our culture and think, okay, is this perfectly acceptable? Like, we could have a, like, it's basically the kind of thing that subtly shuts down any of, any of the conversations that we have when it comes to, like, the words that we use to point out a problem or diagnosing an issue and i feel that you know the more people forget about it or they tend to ignore the more that this kind of thing is going to be part of our culture and some of the um and some of the people who will object and i certainly object to like the drag kids i think they will be sidelined um and yeah, that's, that's how I'm feeling.
0: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I didn't see the speech, but I pulled it up and he says, uh, specifically he wants to thank his mom and dad. Thank you for not squashing my creativity when I was dressing in drag as a kid, which is a threat to nobody. And I, th- I feel like he's, he's whether on purpose or not misconstruing the debate. It's not, it's not dressing in drag as a kid and being creative. It's not coming from a place of creativity. And the argument generally isn't with the kids. It's with parents who, like we saw the lieutenant governor of Minnesota basically saying, hey, when a child tells you who they are, you must obey them and believe them. And there were several analogies that people made of this. And mine was, you know, if your kid tells you they're Frankenstein, you should glue bolts to their, you know, glue metal bolts to their neck and hook them up to jumper cables, I guess. And it's this it's this childification of society whether it's uh their political issues are gun control or climate and i said you know there's gonna they're gonna like roll out you know trans spokes kids at age 12 and cnn can't wait for it when it happens and you're right that it, it it's it's a dishonest presenting of the issues and again i think when you get into the, the the punditry of you know the the guys who are in their 50s and 60s and these weren't really debates we're having i think that they lack an understanding of what the debate is. And again, wokeness is not kids in drag. Wokeness is not a seven-year-old putting on a dress and having a tea party. Although that would, you know, that might get parents to go, you know, Daniel, what are you doing? Um, But the argument is that you have one side of the aisle. And again, I have no fucking idea how people like DeSantis were able to get them to defend this. It's like, guys, you don't have to stake out the opposite position every time. Okay, I feel like it was almost a troll that, you know, DeSantis and a few other of these governors were like, we're going to make you defend permanent hormone therapy and surgeries for minors. We're going to make you defend this. And they just, Rachel Levine rolled out and went full Leroy Jenkining on the issue. And now they're all behind this thing called gender affirming care for kids. And I'm kind of like, this is one of those where I shrug at because I don't see them winning this issue. I, I think there are way too many normies out there who are like, yes, you deserve agency. We want you in society as a valuable person. There's nothing wrong with you. I'll have a beer with you, whatever. Um, But we're not going to do this starting to at 10 and 12 year olds. And I think with that, with those writers, with people like French and people like Goldberg, they're now playing to an audience. And they've decided that there's one side of the aisle or one audience that basically hates them now. And therefore, they're now catering to another side of the audience And they can't say anything that really makes that side hate them because then they have nowhere to go, and they're only, you know, who are we writing for now? And I think that that has a lot to do with this kind of uh, revisionism that you see David going through, and Joe.
5: Yeah, and I was I was a bit disappointed when I read that uh, that column because he actually wrote a, a book called The Tyranny of Clichés. I'm, I'm wondering if you actually read that book because...
0: A long time ago. Basically, if you just... But yeah.
5: Yeah, because you read excerpts of it and I don't know, I don't want to sound dis- uncharitable here but the excerpt that I read basically says like oh, um, like free speech. Why do, why do you care about free speech or, or that's something? And now free speech is really an issue that conservatives are mainly um, worried about when it comes to like you know, the, what's happening in big tech and in our media institutions and on college campuses. And the thing that like, I still, I still like reading Jordan Goldberg. It's just that the kind of things that he is talking about, he is just jumping in the, um, on the fences here where it's just, sounds so unclear and so unprecise that this is my problem with David French. Like he would use certain frame framework to say that this is something that you should not care, this is something that you should not care about, or this is something that, you know, if you say, if you kind of believe this, then you are actually an you are actually being the asshole here. And it's one thing to frame it Um, to frame it that way, but to just being around Bush is not something that um, people on the center right should be doing. It's kind of like the Miller version of, you know, uh, Tim Pool claiming that he's a center-left liberal journalist, but he's often placating the right so much, and I think that's the main issue with media punditry, is like they think they... Like to think of themselves as the uh, as the moderate main character, but ultimately they are just lying to you.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily trying to play the moderate. I think they they see an audience similar to you know the good conservative of CNN. They are the good liberal minded person. Uh, see what he's saying and whatever. Dave Rubin. Did that and then uh, you I wouldn't argue someone like Greenwald did that because Glenn's pretty much stayed the same he's still going on about Julian Assange and whatever on Twitter um, but I, I think part of it is there's an audience there and there's an audience to be made in the see I I'm the good intellectual and and I'm part of that and then so also part of that in some like Tim's gig is he can get anyone he wants basically on his simulcast or whatever it is. Um, They invited me on a while, a while ago and just couldn't make it work. Um, But there's part of that there with that act. And I do think a a good chunk of it is an act. It doesn't mean they haven't genuinely changed positions. My problem with that, whether no matter what side it is, if it's Tim Pool or if it's, you know, Dave Rubin or if it's David French or whatever is you should clearly explain why you changed your position. Don't sit there and keep pretending you know, you're know you the last righteous person out there and everyone is just letting you down left and right. You need to clearly explain why you believe X is now different than when you did in 2015. If you were in the public sphere, I think you owe it to your audience to do that. And none of them have. It's fine if Charlie Sykes left the GOP over Trump and now he's, he claims that he's a conservative, except he's not. Every position he holds now is liberal. He's invited on every liberal show. And someone like that, or Bill Krist or whatever, should explain, okay, if if it's fuck you in the political right, I don't believe this shit anymore, and it was all a fraud, then I would say, then how come you made thousands upon thousands and thousands of dollars off of it? Were, were you, was it a fraud then or is it a fraud now? And they don't want to answer those questions because there is no good answer to that question. And so as I've said, I would love to someday read the, read the book of the conservative authors from the nineties and the two thousands and just title it, oops, and just run down each of them in their former positions. And so, um, the, the reason they do it is because there's an audience there. It's, it's a contrarian audience. And eventually they just kind of mold into one side of that audience and that's where they sit now. And I think that that's what David's doing it-
5: Yeah. That's right. And also to add to your point about Dave Rubin, he's now a conservative. Like, I remember by watching his uh, show, he used to call himself, I'm disappointed with the left. The left is no longer liberal. I am a classical liberal. Don't you see? And then he just drifted far away to um, conservative circles to the point where, you know, if they even talk, if they even think that he's, like, he likes to think of himself as a gay conservative, but, but you see how a lot of people react to his, uh, the news that he's getting so good kids and how like people like Jenna Ellis has just decided to treat him like a, like a massive fraud that says something more about the game rather than um, Dave Rubin, however you
0: feel about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. So Alex, uh, thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to go on with Zach, Samuel, and Bruce and, and wrap this up. But it's good to hear you from you. I was, I'm glad I got your thoughts on, the Oscars and uh, I guess we'll see if they decide to keep those up for next year. Oh, it's, it's good to talk to you. Great. Take care, Alex. Uh, we'll go Zach Samuel and then we'll wrap up with Bruce. I think we always like end up wrapping up with Bruce There's there, there's like two or three of you regular ones. Uh,
6: Jesus Christ, between equity and the outfield and the Oscars, I had a birthday waiting to get on
0: uh it's your show so i kind of let people tell their stories
6: yeah yeah no, but no i i get it the very last time i i ever played any type of organized sports it was you know a rec league softball and ended up telling the coach um that he was a bitch and he needed to cut his dick off to match his personality. So. Did you have
0: four outfielders?
6: We we did. So that's a normal then, uh, thing in
0: softball, four outfielders?
6: Yes, yes, it is. Is that just so um, guys
0: don't have to like rut, you know, chase down a, a ball? They don't you know, the guys the old guys with the bad knees?
6: Yeah, and I mean, you know, you have a lot of guys that were that were, you know, older in their forties and whatnot. And I mean, you know, I played when I was in my twenties and I was in shape and uh, you know, sometimes you, you go running in the outfield and it's uh it ends up being quite a bit on you. So yeah, they, they do four outfielders just because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not that big a fucking deal. Um, you know, you're not, you're not winning anything. You're not, um you know, you're not going to go pro playing slow pitch softball. Although there are some guys that, that do, do believe that.
0: JJ Watt being one of them, apparently.
6: Oh God. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I, I know nothing about Skatey Punchy and I'm not that really interested in it. Uh, the last time I even went to an ice skating rink, I had to take my niece and one of her friends. And so it was me driving two 15-year-old girls, two and a half hours one way and two and a half hours back. And I was ready to just jump out of my moving car. So, um, but yeah, I, it's same thing. It's like. Are you really going to start a fight over somebody telling you, like, hey, you shouldn't wear that number because of, you know, X, Y, and Z? Uh, I mean, like, I've, I've it's, seen it's people do stero- that. And always Zach, not- it's
0: called steroids. It has adverse effects on, on the brain of athletes who use it for years and years. As
6: Well, the yes, yes, there is that. I mean, you can go watch like pro wrestling from the '80s and '90s when everybody was fucking juiced out of their mind, and it's like, well, yeah, that time was more entertaining because everybody was insane because they were all hyped up on all kinds of shit. And it's why they died at 42. But um. I originally was going to call in because I finally caught up with uh, Taibi testifying in front of Congress and just how funny it was to watch, uh, you know, these people being like, and you posted it on a substack stack uh, whatever that is
0: yeah i'm i'm actually working i'm working that into my main theme right now i'm trying to i'm trying to rework some stuff to to fit that one in there because it was too perfect i don't yeah. these people who don't these people who make our laws who don't know what a web page is it's i think it's fine it's it's acceptable to not really know what a substack is but these fucking people have staff they have interns that are 20 25 years old they know what a fucking substack is and so, but, when, when a witness comes before Congress, you should probably inform them hey, he has a Substack, and that's a website where he does all of his writing. It's like an independent website, it's like a journal. Um, and it was just so like, you're, and then she went on Twitter and doubled down on it. And you're just kind of like, you know, just the fact that these people have seats in Congress is, is just, it's.
6: Um, well, there's actually one that I think is even funnier, and that's. If you go back to when, um, you know, the, the people on Reddit got together and decided they were going to pump up all the uh, game stock, and then you had, you know, short sellers and, and Robin Hood was freezing people from buying it, uh, like, you listen to the hearing, and I believe AOC asked if Congress passed a tax on something, if that would help, because, of course, she did. And the, the hedge fund manager basically says, "Well, we use, you know, some sophisticated software that doesn't, that prevents us from buying, you know, or shorting more stock than than is available. And not one person, not one Democrat, not one Republican said, Then how did you end up shorting more stock than the company had if your software doesn't let you do that? Not one person asked that. And like that's the That question right there would get to the bottom of everything. And they all just let it go.
0: Consider we are governed by idiots.
6: Um. Yes. Well, I mean, that's obvious. And like I know you said, apparently there's an indictment. Coming in New York. But... Yeah,
0: Fox News is reporting that Southern District in New York. I, I don't even know which one of these things that they're charging Trump with. This is his business. If it's the Georgia law, I don't even know. It. I don't even care at this point. Um, now, but they said it, that probably Alvin Bragg, that right now they're working with the Secret Service to figure out how to do this and not make it a complete spectacle.
6: Well, uh, here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm very cynical and usually Tom ends up proving me correct that Alvin Bragg has had a lot of bad publicity lately. Um, Yeah, and Bragg isn't SDNY because SDNY is federal, but I know what you mean. Um, But, you know, he was the guy that charged the, his office charged the bodega owner And requested half a million dollars bail. And then when the video comes out, you see this guy go behind the counter and start shoving him. And the bodega owner ends up, you know, stabbing the guy and killing him. And, you know, he got a lot of blowback for that. And when he first took over, he even halted this whole thing. Uh, Into Trump because he said, like, the whole case is built on Michael Cohen, who's been convicted for lying to the FBI. Or lying on his taxes. Which. um, I have a professional obligation to say that I don't endorse and I definitely don't endorse it when the amount of money he got paid changed hands because he took a bunch of money and then didn't put it on his taxes, which is dumb. I'll say that. And so, you know, if this is the case built on Michael Cohen, good luck. But it's about about, uh, a public win for Alvin Bragg. That's what it's about. It's not actually about a case. It's about Bragg needing to have some type of positive story before, um, before his next election because he's been such a, how do I say this, and fucking retard. That's what he is. Um, and so, yeah, like, I keep saying it, and I keep saying it over and over, and I'm just like, guys, like, just stop. and So I, I think I have, I don't even have Trump fatigue, because I don't listen to Trump. Like, I don't, I'm not on truth. Mm-hmm. I'm not following him. I have hysterical reactions to anything related to trump fatigue
0: um i i look at it and say that even if it's a political stunt they're gonna they're going they're going down a road that they don't want to go down and but they're going to do it and then there's going to be consequences down the road and it's gonna it's going to come back on them and then they're going to say how dare this happen and we're all going to point to well this is why it happened and this is one of those that you don't come back from. So, Zach, I'll give you a quick last word, and I'm going to get to Bruce. We'll get out of here.
6: Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have, like, anything, like, profound to say. But um, go back and watch the hearing over GameStop and everything, and, and you will want to stick your head in a gas oven before they're banned.
7: <laughs> Thanks,
0: uh, Bruce. I think we lost Samuel, but uh, Bruce.
7: Yeah, I was just wondering what happened to Samuel. I'm putting my other headset. So I wasn't going to call in tonight, but uh, a couple things. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you're good. Go ahead. Okay, a couple things. First, the the number 88 is that in reference to Eric Windross or? Uh, Patrick Kane.
0: Uh, Eric. It's it's mainly Eric Lindros, but it's also just kind of a. It's a. Bad egotistical number. Most it, most double digit numbers you stay away from. Like seventy seven, you don't need, you don't fucking wear seventy seven that's Ray Bork.
7: Right, um,
0: right. Sixty six is Lemieux. Fifty five is okay. I have a guy who's fifty five on my team. That there's not really any fifty five. There's a couple out there. Um, forty four is Pronger. So you can. Yeah, I yeah. think you can. I think you can get away with forty four. That's not going to draw any real extra attention. Um, Thirty three of a goalie. You're Patrick Waugh. Um, 22, you can get away with, I have a 22, like, it really depends. And, it, and it's all like unwritten rules of hockey. So, well,
7: so, so full disclosure, I actually used to play, uh, beer league hockey when I was much younger. And did anyone uh, wear
0: 99?
7: And... No, no. In fact, uh, you know, somebody wearing like a high number, like 37 was like, kind of like, what, why are you wearing such a high <laughs> number? I mean, everybody wore low number. I wore number five, uh, just cause that, that was my number. And I was just the number I wore all, all the time. So yeah. I wore number five. Um, but, yeah, wearing any high numbers was just kind of like, what are you doing? Um,
0: yeah, I, I kind of like I have a guy on my team who he, he used to skate. He's an OK skater. He's not great. And when I gave him his choice of his number, when he came on, he wanted 83. And I was like, I was like, all right. OK, um, now, now, full admission, uh, I said on my podcast, I wore 14 for most of my life. And, uh, and then in 2014, it actually, it took on a little bit of a, a kind of meaning to it. I'm not, I'm not going to go into what that was, but it was, it was surreal. It was, it was something where it was like, huh, that's, that's interesting. Um, and so I still wear 14, but I also, I have 84 that I throw on once in a blue moon season, just cause I like it. I like the fact that no one, like it's 84 is the least used Jersey number in the history of the NHL. It's like two yeah, players have ever worn it
7: how did you figure that out did you did you go like look that up on something yeah
0: I looked up like <laughs> who, who just to make sure I didn't you know I didn't want it to be like you know Marty McSorley hitting Donald Brashear in the back of the head while wearing 84 kind of thing um but yeah so I looked it up and I was like oh there's only been like two players so I was like okay and it's a good it's a fun captain's number who cares um but yeah I kind of agree with you on the higher numbers but on the other hand I just let the guys wear what they want um I had a guy, my my best player on my team wanted number 11 and I already had a number 11. And so I said, if you guys want to work it out, work it out. So instead he went with 74, which doesn't fucking fit him at all. It's like, that's a weird one, but it's seven plus four is 11. And even when I lost the guy who's number 11, he, he refused to wear the 11 jersey. So it's, it's a weird thing. Some guys don't care. Um, some guys do, but there, it's just an unwritten rule. You don't wear 66. You don't wear, you know, right, right, 99. Absolutely. You just, you don't, nineteen's another one that's an odd number because Sackick and Iserman, like it's a, like 19 is a really famous hockey number. And so even when you see a guy in 19, that's a little, but who cares? Like yeah. the lower numbers, but you're right. Like the higher the numbers go, it's kind of like, all right. Like if you're wearing a 90, like almost any 90, if you're wearing 91, you think you're Fedorov. If you're wearing, right. you know, 94 and all of these others. So it's a weird culture. But, yeah, it's, it's the unwritten rule. You don't wear 99 because you're not that guy. But- well, I, and, and I just love the story about
7: how Gretzky chose that number, too, that he, he wanted to honor uh, Gordie Howe um but number nine wasn't available so he took 99 so i think
0: that's 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 what i should have told i should have told jj that i should have said you just go wear nine there's no problem with nine or 98 who cares about that you know right unless unless like jj watt hates drew Brees or some shit i don't know
7: uh so the second thing i want to talk about is oscars so i i haven't watched the oscars in you know I, I can't even remember when and i have a whole i just was talking with my wife earlier tonight about my you know just tv vacuum from about 1990 until um you know really about probably 2007 just for a variety of <clears throat> life reasons and all that but uh so uh kids are getting older now we can actually go out and have dates and not worry about the kids just leaving them at home and we made it a point i would heard all these wonderful things about everything everywhere all at once and I didn't like watch any trailers or anything. I just said, hey, I've heard good things about this movie. Everybody, like, and, and people from all over the, the political and uh, you know demographic spectrum were saying, this is great, go see it. So we go to this, we find it, it's playing at this pretty nice kind of swanky theater. We, we live in the St. Louis area. We drove into the city, found this theater. It was totally obscure. I had to kind of walk through these weird lobbies to get to it. We sit down and watch this film and oh my gosh, Um, I, 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 for people that have seen it, you know, it it was just like, this was not what I was expecting at all. I, I get it from a, like things that they did in it that you can do with the medium of film that you can't do in, you know, reading a novel or something like that. And that was done. And and, and I guess it was done well and, and all that, but like, did anyone enjoy it? like is that one that you're going to just pop in the VCR and you know get a cook a bag of popcorn in the microwave and sit down and watch again and again i just i i, I was just like i don't get this and, and and am i just old and stupid now and i don't get what the kids are watching or, or do i just not appreciate film talk to me my counselor Stephen. tell me what, what what's going on i do
0: think it's an acquired taste cuz it is bizarre and it's also mostly a foreign language film. It's a very niche film. Um, I I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I liked the message of it. I liked the creativity. It it was kind of being written off as just kind of like a, uh, an art house Marvel film. And I could kind of see that as well. It's a multiverse film. Um, but I thought the performances were good. There was things that were just original about it. It just, it goes to some really crazy places and I kind of like crazy places. Um, I haven't seen it again. It's not, you know, it, it might be one that I, I get in the mood for and watch again. It's not one that I'm going to sit down with someone and go, Oh, you haven't seen it. Whatever. Um, so I, I think, I think it's in between kind of where you are. Um, I don't think Oscar films necessarily have to be about rewatchability. Um, again, I said, it, if I was, if I was voting, if I, if I was a member of the Academy, I would have voted for top gun Maverick just because of, um, the statement that it made. And there's this idea that it, it really did kind of save the theater going experience, which I kind of agree that it did. Um, I would argue Christopher Nolan opening up tenant in the middle of a pandemic was braver than what Maverick did. Um, but I, I would argue that it's, it's a return one. It's a sequel. It's in what's funny about all of these reboots, franchises, whatever Maverick is the only one that isn't like passing the ball off to a new generation. Okay. It's not star Wars it's not all of these films that, you know, pass, you know, we're passing this off to a younger cast, a new cast, and they're going to run with it. It's not Ghostbusters. Um, Maverick is about Tom Cruise. It's, it's, I'm still here. And that I thought was unique in, in kind of where we are in the franchise and sequels of today. And so just for what the film was and just how stunning it looked and just the ride it takes you on without being, you know, smashing action figures together, I thought was really good, but I'm also, uh, you know, a unique taste on that. So no, I didn't have a problem with everything all at once, all the time, whatever. Winning, um, I thought it was. I, I thought it was at least in the least bit original. It was an original story, and they kind of uh, weave it back to a very intimate story about a mother and her daughter. And so I was just kind of like, eh, sure. You know, I thought it lived up for the most part to the word of mouth. But um, is it one that I'm gonna, you know, watch over and over? Eh, probably. Sure. Uh, And and you brought
7: up Maverick. So I, I am of the Top Gun generation. So I was in um, college in the early nineties and that movie probably was played once or twice a month uh, in various venues and all that, that we would all gather around and watch. Um, We, uh, I was in air force ROTC at the time there was Navy ROTC there and it was just a big rivalry. I had a sign up on my door that said, uh, uh top gun was an air force movie that used navy planes and of course i got every got under everybody's skin and um it just yeah it was all part of the the inter-service rivalry um and i absolutely love top gun and i uh, took it took the family to watch uh, uh top gun maverick I, I loved it it was it was more than I, I i had high expectations and it exceeded all of them um it, it, it's still far-fetched right it's a, it's a, it's a it's a goofy story uh, you know implausible it's, it's basically it's basically
0: but... a mission impossible film which is that he's not going to get away and it's also if the the trench run of the death star in a new hope lasted for 2 hours yeah if yeah. if the whole st- if it was the entire star wars movie was not you know the death star on the desert planet and the force and it was just the pilots training for that death star run it's the
7: Sure, and and uh, I I loved how, and I think this this came up in your um, either on call-ins or I don't remember if you're doing a time or your or your podcast about how, um, like like there was enough plausibility about it, like that oh the oh you know a long time ago we sold F-14s to the Iranians, but you know they very conveniently leave the identity of the enemy out, which they did in kind of in the first one too. Uh, which makes the movie a little bit more timeless and, and, and all that because you forget uh, what you're watching. But I felt like it was a much better um, story. Uh, a lot of the military protocol was better in it, I felt. Uh, like there was this uh, scene like uh, I can't remember where exactly it was, but he's in uh, the bar. Jennifer Connolly's there when he puts his phone on the bar, and that's a you know like huge note of like, oh, that bell better get wrong, And sure enough it did that he had to buy the round, uh, for, for the whole bar and all that. So that I, I love stuff like that for, you know, a lot of, uh, people like me, veterans, whatever that, uh, you know, you see stuff like that and you're like, okay, good. They, they got that right. Uh, kind of thing. But I, I thought it was a phenomenal film. I don't think it's going to have the rewatchability at least for me, that, that the first one does. Um, but, uh, I definitely enjoyed it and, and we'll, we'll certainly, uh, watch it, uh, over and over. Um, but yeah I, it, just as, as a as a just a great film that, that is going to be more watched it's going to be more timeless it's going to connect more people I just think that yeah not, it, that's not what the Academy's there for uh, and all that but I, I just was like I, I guess I'm, I'm I, I take more exception to everything everywhere because I like we actually made it a date and uh, <laughs> tried to go and see the movie ruined your day <laughs> well it certainly didn't improve it let's put it that way so anyway all right well that's all i got for tonight uh appreciate you taking my call i jumped in late i didn't get the notification uh like i usually do so i'm not sure what
0: happened there but anyway appreciate the appreciate the time no no worries thanks bruce um, and that wraps it up. That's pretty much right on time. Uh, thanks again to callers. Uh, some fun personal stories tonight. Uh, they're all kind of, uh, some nights are different, and that's what makes it fun. Um, I will be on Substack tomorrow, the podcast. I have a couple of things I still want to go into that just kind of came out today. I'll probably have more thoughts on this possible Trump indictment uh, when I actually dive into it and read it. Um, But again, thanks for callers. Thanks you guys for joining and listening for a bit with us tonight. And uh, like I said, subsack tomorrow and then uh, I'll be back on Tuesday there. And uh, I might try to fit in uh, another call in next week. So maybe one or two next week. We'll see how it goes. Um, I'll skate Monday night and we'll see if I uh, do any better than JJ Watt does hiking. So thanks everyone. It's versus media live on call in. And uh, like I said, enjoy your weekends. Cheers.